Blog Talk Radio. Urban Glory Radio, simply glorious. In spreading the gospel to the world, we have designed a streaming radio broadcast for every believer. This word, worship, and witness-filled broadcast streams live every week. Access episodes on demand 24 hours a day. Subscribe to our iTunes podcast and take UGR wherever you go. Visit us online at urbanglorycampaigns.webs.com. Also find us at twitter.com backslash urban underscore glory and like us on Facebook. Enjoy today's broadcast. study the Word of God systematically. You know it's a delight to study the Word of God because we're to study to show ourselves approved workmen that need us not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And you know, I am delighted to be able to discuss this series with you this morning on faith in the workplace. And this is the second lesson of the teaching. And we only scratched the surface of of it, I am going to give a little healthy review, and then we'll take some more information and go further in this. But let's let's pray and not delay. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to really invade our thinking today, as we we speak on faith in the workplace, working unto the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for this day, knowing that this is the day that you have made. We rejoice and are glad. We do thank you for another opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. It is. The, your, the authority of your word that gives me confidence to make boldly known the mysteries of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do lean and depend on that Holy Spirit as educator and guide to give me clear articulation of speech and deliberation of thought as I make manifold known the wisdom of God. Holy Spirit, I say, have your way. Do what only you can do. Anoint the people's ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And Father, and everything that shall be accomplished in the and shall be revealed, you be glorified. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus that we do praise you and give you glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Right before I get started, I do want to encourage you to join us um, for uh, Music Celebration Month. We're going to have a special program date on on Mondays and Thursdays of, 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 of July as we celebrate music. Amen. And then also I want to thank you for listening to the broadcast, but I encourage you to download it and spread the word. There are tons, there are hundreds, literally hundreds of series um, and teachings and messages that are on here that you can really get for the edification of the body. So join us in such a um, wonderful time. Amen. And we're going to be speaking today on faith in the workplace. Part two. When we speak of faith, faith demands action. For faith without proof is fake. Or faith without works is dead. And so a lot of times when we qualify, of course we know that faith comes or is introduced to us through the word of God, but it's actually actualized in what we do and what we, how we conduct ourselves on a day-to-day basis. It also should be reflective in how we work. One of the 
major teachings that the Lord had enlightened me on earlier this year and previous and previous years uh, was a, a lesson entitled Taking New Territories. And there I began to receive a revelation. Matter of fact, it was last year. I was teaching at a church that I was in ministry at. And the Lord had opened up an understanding to me that the, there comes a time in your life where the greatest testimony that you will have is how you conduct yourselves on a regular day-to-day basis. That what you do and what you carry and what you believe all correlate or they all are congruent or they all going in the same direction, and that will be your greatest proof to you saying, I am a believer. And a lot of times, because we have created those traditions, and I've talked about those traditions in times past, especially when we're dealing with um, um, establishing why we do what we do. I use the example of the pot roast um, being cut in half and how generation after generation repeated the same mistakes over and over again because they did not take time to find out why the tradition was in place in the first place. And so tradition really was an accident. The scripture goes on to say and confirms that truth by saying that the traditions of men can even make the word of God of none effect. And you cannot talk about work without giving an exegesis on the book of James. I love James, and we'll start there in part two of this lesson, because James brings relevance to the forefront of the New Testament wave of church planting and church development. He is a counterpart with uh, one of the, in the latter days of speaking for the disciples, because most of the disciples had been martyred by the particular time that he was writing. And so his epistle is small, but it's some, it's some fifth, it's toward the latter part. You have to understand that when Paul had wrote Corinth and Ephesians and, and Philippi, uh, to the church of Philippi, that was, that was still in the mid part of that 50-year history that we see in Acts. Um, of when the church was first being settled and established. So a lot of those writings are primitive. And, but it, when we go into Peter, First Peter and, and, and Hebrews and, and Jude and, and James, you are really seeing a generation after the dispensation or the time period of when the church was established at Acts or in rather, the upper room, okay? So when, um, so now the Gentiles have, have, have created another generation that has expanded the gospel as expressed to the Gentiles and the Jews, and so now the church is really being communicated differently. Peter is an old man who had walked with Jesus by this time and one of the last living apostles at this particular time, and Paul's ministry is almost complete when James write this book. This this is why we have to do our research and study 
and then you can see the power and the fervency behind what he's saying about faith being without works is dead. And he was a brother of the Lord Jesus. You know, it's hard for someone who feels that they are connected to you somewhat in in um in physical in relation of some type um to to see you in light of what you really are when it comes to your giftings and your creativity. And so even in his skepticism of walking with the Lord, um, and, and of course I've done a lot of studies and a lot of people have said that, you know, he was one of the apostles that wasn't so convinced, <laughs> you know. But here um, we, we, we then see a... a, a a refocusing on what produced what what Jesus was talking about. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith will heal you. According to your faith, be it unto you. Because it was faith that was what would please God. It would be faith that would be so great that he could speak the word only. It would be faith that would cause the reality of God's word to take full effect in our life. And so he he bases his book on faith. But he says, if faith is void of proof, if it's void of proof, if you're if you can't overcome your temptation, if you can't remove discrimination, if you can't obey the word, if you can't control your tongue, if you can't create humility, if you're not producing wisdom and and this is all reflective in your works then everything pertaining to your faith is void. It's null and void. And this is a message that was needed for the church because there's a lot of people that will profess and claim faith, but it will not reflect in what they say and what they do on a day-to-day basis, especially when it comes to getting that check so you can have the money that you desire. And some people, they've taken some great risk when it comes to going after vocations for the sake of money, taking leaps without a blessed assurance. And we as believers should know the power and the potential of faith, all right? So faith in its foundation reveals that faith accepts the reality of the will of God. It answers to God's pleasure. It awakens the power of God for living, and it alters our world through the revelation of the word. But ultimately it assures our future because it is set to please God again. Do you see what I'm saying? So it, it awakens us, and, this, and this, is, this, is, this is important. Let's read the second chapter of James. He said, my brethren, have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory and um, with respect of persons? For if there come unto you an assembly of a man with a gold ring, goodly apparel, and there come unto you a poor man in a vile remnant, and ye have respect to him that weareth gay clothing, and say unto him that sit, sit thou in a good place, and say, now this, don't this happen in the church? Say to the poor, stand thou there or sit under the footstool, are you not partial in yourselves and have become judges of evil thoughts? Hawking, my beloved brethren, have not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith 
and the heirs of the kingdom which have promised to him that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by, the, um, by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye commit respect to persons, ye commit sin. And convince of the, uh, of the law, sorry, and convince of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, is guilty of all. For he said, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet thou, if thou kill, thou become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and do so, and so do, as they, they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. See, this is what he's challenging them to do. Because, see, we have partialities that we place in the church, and, and God doesn't see that. But he goes on to say, for he shall have judgment without mercy that showed no mercy. And mercy rejoices against judgment. What does it profit, my brethren? See, we, we often, what we do in church is we cut off the, the content or the context behind the address, and we just go to what we, we like. But we got to go to the whole portion of this. It says, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works, now, again, he's dealing with brothers, and first he deals with how you contact he's, um, or how you treat people and how you show respect to people, respect, respect the persons, rather. And then he deals with you claiming faith. And then he goes into this second article or the second context and says, what would a prophet, though a man say he has faith and have not works, can his faith save him? If a brother, and then he goes back into the original context in which he's talking, which is if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead being alone. So in other words, don't give somebody lip service when the life service is necessary for them to live and say, God be with you and go in peace. That's not, that's not faith. Faith comes alive through the works that, that correspond with it. Even so, if you have not works, faith is, oh, faith is dead being alone. Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show ye thy faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God. Thou dost well, but even the devils believe and also tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son Upon the altar, seest thou faith wrought with the works, and by works was faith made perfect. So our working, and this is why the Lord gave me this teaching on faith in the workplace, our working will perfect our faith. 
and we have to engage and find out what our work is and do it as unto the Lord. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm. And and it's a travesty to to not know and not have a blessed assurance. Now, a lot of people that just working here, working there, working here, working there, have no blessed assurance, have no divine unction, have no divine guidance. And just because you get a certain amount of wealth and wealth bracketed and you appear successful to the world, to God you're not successful because he's not involved. This is, this is, this is, a, this is a common error in the church because we're just, we, you know, the church is not taking the opportunity to say, hey, when you come into the knowledge of the truth and the truth makes you free, Everything in your life must be evaluated and examined whether it exists in a place of faith. And and a place of faith must be also reflected in your workplace. And, yes, God does give you a universal and united and unique purpose, but at the end of the day, you need to find out what your unique purpose is and be in the path of, of, of work, and in that path, one of the blocks of the path is the work or the vocation which brings and develops your faith. It's where God can shine through you in by what you're doing. If you're going to a job for, for over 40 to 80 hours in a week and nothing that you do builds your faith as a believer, you need a reevaluation on your priorities, on your perception. Now and, and let me and don't 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 um take me out of context because whatever you find your hands to do you ought to do it all, wholeheartedly unto the Lord. Telling you, um, uh, you know, just that you got to be a Bible toting Christian. You are you are the Scripture manifested on the regular basis that you know. Your life is hid and known by everybody. That's what Paul said to to the church of Corinth. You are our commendation. When they came back in Second Corinthians and they tried, or the church of Corinth, when he when he addressed them sharply, and they asked them, "Who do you think you are? Where do you get your credentials?" He said, "You are my proof. You wouldn't have had the concept of the church if I didn't come together and organize this this body of believers into into working order." You know, and when it comes, God wants God wants us, and in the, in the challenge of this teaching, he wants us to empower working for him. And if we're going to empower, we do have to evaluate how we get our income and how we go about expressing our agenda before the Lord. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And some people, they give him no place when it comes to the workplace. They just get a job, they get a hustle, they go to school, they get a degree, and not find out what God's life priority mandate is on their lives. And then they want God to bless them in spite of, and he can't because he's not Lord in that area. And those are things that we have to evaluate in life. And and, and it's a travesty because instead of teaching children how to um, how to engage and how to empower themselves and to find out what their gifting is at a very young age, they go through systems that introduce them to concepts and pathologies that were not ordained for their predestination. And as a result, instead of the parents hearing from God as to, as to what the children should be doing, 
they go to these institutions and they discover that these that even though they have the degrees and even though they have the abilities to achieve a success by the world, they are out of place and then they have to go back through introspection and they come running at our altars asking us at, when it's too late, when their time period of influence and empowerment to, to affect the world is at, at hand, we got to go back through the elementary, the rudiments, and the foundations, such as faith in the workplace, saying, hey, you did not evaluate and seek God in this place, and wondering why they're not in their set places. And this takes place over and over again. And then, and then you got other members that have been in the church for 30, 40, 50 years because they have not heard this teaching that faith Faith should be communicated and translated and ver and vib visibly displayed by what you do on a regular basis in every form and aspect of your life because that's not taught. You got people with a form of godliness, and they're denying power. And the power, if the power cannot translate to you producing fruit of you being connected to the same compassionate and 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 world converting God and Savior, something's wrong. And those convictions have to be resurrected in the church. Amen? Now, that was a long extended commentary to which I have so much more information, which puts us into another lesson for this particular teaching. But I, I, I wanna I want to give this. I don't wanna I don't wanna rush through this this teaching because because I know this is not being taught. I know that 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 generally people don't know that they should reflect the image that they carry within when they go to work, that they should rely on the Holy Spirit's help at work, and they should resolve to be the best at work because that is, to God, the validation of their faith. And 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 I know that the people are not being taught that in John 9, 4, the scripture says work while it's day, meaning that you have a time period of work. Then in Colossians 3, it gives you the ethic of how you should work and work as unto the Lord. And then in, in Matthew 5, verse 16, it, should, it, it tells you how your work, your work state should be, your good works. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Of course, there are enemies to to working mentalities, and the first enemy is worldly lust. Let's go to Titus right quick. Worldly lust is, is an enemy to a divine work ethic. Amen. So I want to entitle this second lesson, Empowering Our Ethics. Empowering Our Ethics. We're working unto the Lord, but we're empowering our ethics. In Titus chapter 2, verse 12, it lets us know that teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for a blessed hope at the glorious appearing and the great of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Do you hear the scripture? 
So we, we deny worldly lust. That's an enemy of our working mentality. Another enemy of our working um, mentality is weariness of mind, weariness of mind. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also can pass about a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So this, this, these mentalities of saying, hey, you ain't, you ain't died to sin, you ain't died for sin. So don't get weary when it comes to finding out how to work as unto the Lord, working as unto the Lord. And these are enemies, worldly lust and weariness of mind. You're weary. God tells you to do something. I don't want to do it. Don't be like that. That's the wrong mentality to have. And these preachers have gotten up there and, and have distorted the gospel, always trying to use a false humility, talking about they didn't want to preach. Well, if you don't want to preach, don't do it. Don't get up there and do it. Don't make it seem like someone had to drag you along to do God's will. That's the weariness of mind. That's against the Bible. You're supposed to say, here, my Lord, send me. Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to go? Which way do you want me to go? This is what I, your will I will obey. Hallelujah. And then thirdly, works of the flesh is also an enemy to the mentality of the workforce. And in Galatians chapter 5, it says, it says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variances, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, and murder, and drunkenness, revelings, and such like of which I tell you before, as I also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And, of course, the resolve is to be led by the Holy Spirit, which lets you know, but the fruit of the Spirit is in love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections and lust. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also what? Walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Do you get what I'm saying? And then, of course, it deals again with how you treat people. So we work while it's day, we work unto the Lord, and we work for the greater good. But we do this because we want to avoid worldly lust, weariness of mind, and working in the flesh. We, and, and the only way we can preserve that is to understand that our life advances through work based, based on exemplifying our faith because we reflect the image that we carry, we rely on the Holy Spirit, and we resolve to be the best. And, and, and when, that is, when that is understood, we will see a great change in the world. Now, more information, but it's good. And I'm going to get on some, um, I'm going to really empower ethics maybe in the third lesson when we close. But in, in this particular one, I want to do some connecting knowledge. Years ago, there's a powerful scripture that I believe that every believer should know. 
uh, there's a, a matter of fact, it's a mini book that I have. It's going to be um, released very soon. But uh, it's called Seven Habits of Effective Believers. And I got that straight from the Word of God, um, um, found in Second Peter chapter 1. Let's go there. And I'll read it real quick um, because when I give the commentary, I'm just going to have to zoom through it for time's sake. Amen. But this is, this is a good thing that you can download these teachings and go back and review it for your edification. Now, there's, a, there's one clause in there that I think people just don't understand, the, the power behind what is communicated through the text. But I believe that if you allow the Spirit of God to reveal in you, um, it, will, it will transform your life. Now, Let's start at verse 3, and we'll go down to uh, verse 8. Well, we'll start at, we'll go to verse 10. According as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us unto glory and virtue, whereby he has given us exceeding and great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue to knowledge, and the knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and he hath forgotten that he hath been purged from his old sins. Wherefore? But rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if these, this is the part that I want to emphasize, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fail. If ye do these things, ye shall never fail. So here he's talking about what I've called the habits of effective believers. Faith must, or, or faith additions, you know, I, I know y'all have heard me teach on this several times. Um, faith additions is a, a study where I talk about these virtues that must be added or these characteristics that must be added in order for us to excel. And these are what create our ethics as believers, what makes us different from the world. We have superior ethics. We have the spirit of intelligence from the Holy Spirit instinctively within us to know the will of God and to adapt the will of God to our lifestyle. What, what, else, what else empowers us? Hallelujah. We, we, have, we, have, we have an advocate, the Lord Jesus, that intercedes that when we don't even know how to pray, we, we have assistance to get things done so that we can be effective in the kingdom of God. So we, we establish ourselves in faith. Of course, you know, Romans 10, 17 says that, um, um, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we find out what the word says about our faith, and then we follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So God always gives us uh, an example in Hebrews six twelve, and then we frame our life through faith by working exploits, and that's what James chapter two says: faith without works is dead. Okay, now in this particular teaching, 
Uh, and this is just connecting knowledge, and you have to go to Faith Editions. They're online and and in addition, but uh, or Seven Habits of Highly Effective Believers. That's my mini book where I expound on these particular uh, concepts. But but any ethics ethics come as a result of a of a conditioning and conversion. Okay, you're conditioning yourself to align to your convictions based on you being fully adapted to those convictions. And those convictions convert your manner of life. They correct you in righteousness. They convey divine intentions, and they clarify the will of God for your life. And this is what channels your life to to the power of God to perform. So, So when we talk about ethics, empowering our ethics, we look in the word of God and we find out what what ethics or what things uh, enhance our um, walk with the Lord. And here it says, if you do these things, you shall never fail. And we know that when we want to work, we don't want to fail. We want to work as unto the Lord and do it, with all, do it wholeheartedly, you know, um, These seven habits, I think, cannot get exhausted enough. Amen. But if we if we learn these things, we'll find a quality of life that is empowering. The seven habits, of course, and they're found in verses five through seven. Okay, they're they're the seven habits in verses five through seven in First Peter or Second Peter chapter one. And and there you need it says add to your faith. So it is not faith. These are things that we do in a, in addition to faith. But when we talk about working for the Lord, if we want to succeed, if those that work for the Lord do succeed, then then we need to find out what these what these traits are. So it's virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, and. Uh, Godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Okay, and so let me define what these are. First one is virtue, which is moral excellence. Moral excellence to serve as the example. That means you embody what you believe. Knowledge, the know-how, the divinely impartations of reality through His will. So our knowledge is is from the Lord. Amen. Divine knowledge or revelation knowledge. Temperance is a personal restraint, moderation through self-discipline. Okay, and then there's patience, confident endurance during under difficulties. Because you know you're going to go through some things, but you're confident because you know who sent you to endure. You have a blessed assurance. And then there's godliness, which is the reality of existing in a godly manner through character. And then, of course, there's, um, there is brotherly kindness, which is a, which is a covenant expression of, of the compassion of God in conduct and commitments and convictions in relationship with other people. Okay? And then there's... Charity, of course, which is the reality of God's love expressed in our existing in His divine nature, and so when we when we talk about those seven seven things, these are what work what what create and 
what create the efforts needed to empower our change. So in addition to that, I want to give you some practical things. I've given you the seven habits, which is the biblical or the theological foundation of, work, of your work ethics. But I want to give you some work ethics that you should always have, no matter what job you do on a regular basis. And that's number one is embrace the grace to be a person of order. God said, let everything be done in decency and in order, right? And then, then number two, exercise the power of submission to authority. Exercise the power of submission to authority because you're, when you're working, you're not going to always be the boss. It costs to be the boss. And until you can, t- until you can own your workforce and work labor, which is possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many examples of those. God will help you. I told you he will put place you until your unique abilities can provide your living. He will place you in your united ability or purposes, right? And in that united purpose, you are working with someone else to achieve the goal. And the only way you can do that is to understand the mission and support it. That's what submission is. You understand the mission and support it. I cannot be submitted to something I don't understand. All right. So then you need to be equip, uh, equip your competence with overt, um, overt um, partnerships and mentorships. That means. So that means you. First thing you do when you go to work, you learn submission. You learn the mission. You get under authority. You you embrace God's great to be a person of order. Because listen today. We have people that want want the job but don't want to do do what it takes to keep it. They don't want to they don't want to hit the pavement. You got to be a person of order, of excellence. You got to be a person that exercises submission to authority, and then you got to be equipped with competence because we're in a technology. It makes no sense you living in 2016 and you don't know things about computers, and you know there are some people that gloat that they don't have a computer, you, we're living in a tech, technological age. Even with phones, you know, I used to come against texting, but I think the Lord told me to stop doing that, so I've stopped. But we got to do better. And then I, we got to engage in the art of perpetual learning. We got to exemplify. I got to go faster. We got to engage in the art of perpetual learning. We got to exemplify uh, Christian standards without words. We don't always have to preach, and I'm telling you, don't you go up in your job and preach. You know, I, I remember people used to have Bible studies, and if you and you, you know, ain't nothing wrong with having lunchtime Bible studies, but you better be on time and before time when you clock back into your office. Don't be holding no Bible study in your office, and you're supposed to have an hour lunch, and you having two hours, and expect God to be exemplified. That is a that is a cancer. You're not respecting the workforce doing something like that. And that's not the place. If you want a Bible study, you go to a church and have Bible study. If you want to do a, a lunchtime Bible study or discussion, it's one thing to discuss the word over lunch. But you need to go back, take people back to the institution of the church. If the Lord didn't tell you to start no Bible study, don't you do it. And just because you like to talk about the Bible don't mean you should teach the Bible. We got a lot of people doing a lot of things, you know, 
told me, yeah, I do my lunchtime as, as if it's some badge of honor. Is that what the Lord told you to do? If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Doing lunch Bible studies, wasting people's time. And sometimes you just need to eat and re- readjust and get yourself equipped because until you're exemplifying through your work ethic and submission to authority and being a person of order in the workforce, you don't need to teach no Bible study. You should you should be exemplifying your Christian standards without words and evolving excellence and flexibility and expect greater and impact others through your legacy. And if that's not taking place at work, then, my friends, your ethics to empower the workforce needs to be reevaluated. And if that's the message that I had to send you today in the commentary and the connotation, then my work is done. The Lord wants you to know we can't go about it the way we've done it without a knowledge base. Don't be like the first church that was just doing a whole bunch of things and most of the writings are corrective and rebuking so that way it's not perpetuated in the in the current church. But unfortunately, even in this current church, we're not reading enough like we should to, to, to discover the imperatives that mandate and demand uh, a, a, a considerable reevaluation to how we approach working unto the Lord, faith in the workplace. And until faith becomes embodied in who you are and what you have and what you can do, then 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 these then the blessings that and the potential that you could transform your workplace will never be achieved until you do what it takes. And this is not just praying and fasting and talking about scripture. This is embodying the very ethics and empowering the ethics that we carry because we have Christ in us. He is our hope of glory. We look up to him, the author and finisher of our faith. We consider him who endured such contradiction. Father, lead us today to a place where we can exemplify you for real in the workplace. We delight in your truth because we know your truth makes us free. And we thank you that even in the more and the days to come, we will expand our appreciation for being the privilege to work for you and then also being a catalyst of change for others that look on us to say, what must I do to be saved? Lord, let the fervency of your word and your power and your provisions be so reflected in our conduct and our commitments and our our day-to-day endeavors. And we spark a revolution in this country and in this world with great exploits that only you can get the credit for because you established in our hearts to be great. For you're a good God and your mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name. I trust that whatever you set your hands to do, you will do because great is he that's within you than he that's within the world. It is the word of God that changes us. And and anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. If you have not confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you're not saved. And I would invite you at this time to repeat after me, I do confess with my mouth 
and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. I do thank God for the work that he did for me at Calvary. Now, that's just a confession. But now you need to get in the Bible-believing teaching church and then also get acquainted with the Holy Spirit that enables you to live this life and seal you to the day of redemption. We thank you for listening to the broadcast this morning. Continue to walk by faith and not by sight.